You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. What a morning so far. Baptism, isn't that awesome to watch and celebrate together about what God's doing in people's lives? Yeah, it was just awesome. And, and that's, I love that song. Like, I mean, man, if you can't preach after that, you need to find a new job. Tell you what. I told someone back, back before I came out here that uh, I'm more excited than an Alabama fan when he finds out his cousin's single. That's how I'm feeling. I'm ready to roll. Uh, so we're going through the book of Acts, and just, just what I heard, just what I heard. So we're going through the book of Acts, and we're going to be in verse 9 this week of chapter 8, and uh, we just go through books of the Bible often. We started back in January in chapter 1, verse 1, and just rolling all the way through. Uh, so I'm going to pray for us, and we'll jump in. Easter's coming. We're Easter people. Uh, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is what the book of Acts is about. It's how these believers responded to that good news of their lives, about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and it really is an important story of how the church came to be. We're here today as recipients of what happened here when Jesus said to go and be witnesses and to proclaim my love and my good news to the whole entire world. So let's pray together. We'll jump in. Father, we are thankful for baptisms this morning, for the words we got to sing. Uh, We're thankful for our church, and we just ask that we'll be people who continue to respond to the fact that you first loved us. We'll be convinced uh, that we matter to you as your children, uh, that your glory is the most important thing, and that your glory also is shown by redeeming a people to yourself, and we worship you for that, that we get to be counted as the people of God, your sons and daughters, Lord, that you've adopted us into your family, the Bible tells us, in Christ. As you speak to me this morning, as we go through Acts, that we will see uh, exactly what it is that the early church had for the future uh, of, of their present ministry, but also for us here in Tallahassee a couple thousand years later. We ask you, all the churches in Tallahassee, as they gather today, keep the enemy out of this place, out of our city, and we ask as Easter approaches that we'll see a lot of people come to the Civic Center, a lot of people come to Ruby Diamond on Good Friday, because we want to proclaim your love and your resurrection uh, to all who will hear. And we are thankful for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's start in the text. Chapter 8, verse 9. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. So here's a guy who thought he was a big deal and others thought was a big deal. They all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God. What a thing to be called. If someone was called that today, we'd think they were a cult leader. And here's this person being called the great power of God. He's a sorcerer, and everyone's coming around him. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. When they believed Philip, and if you weren't here last week, love you just to catch up on our podcast is going through the book of Acts. Philip was being used by God to get the gospel out, to take the good news to Samaria. So they were hearing him and believing about Jesus as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. That's the message. Our message is Jesus. Both men and women were baptized, meaning they came to faith in Christ. They believed he actually was the one he claimed to be. In other words, they believed Philip's message about Jesus and were baptized to show their decision to follow Jesus, their association to be with Christ. Even Simon himself believed So there's kind of plot thickens a little bit. The sorcerer, the guy with all the hype, has now come to believe. After he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed that he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. Because he knew his were like an illusion. They were counterfeit. And here he actually is seeing the real power happen and he can't explain it. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, disciples, to go scout out the scene. 
After they went down there, they prayed for them so the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. We'll explain that in just a minute. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and when they received the Holy Spirit, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also. I need some of that so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. I need some new magic tricks in my arsenal. But Peter told him, this is a sharp rebuke, may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you're poisoned with bitterness that Philip's getting hype and the disciples and he's not. And bound by wickedness, your heart's not pure in this matter. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So we see the grace of God here, giving the opportunity to repent. So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. That's Acts 9, chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. Let's take a quick look at verses 15 through 17 just to explain that. So we see that the Holy Spirit was delayed coming to Samaria. We kind of have an idea of a Samaritan Pentecost happening here, similar to what happened in Jerusalem. Now, is that the recipe for all believers? Like, is there some kind of thing where someone has to come lay hands on you for you to be a legitimate Christian, for you to receive the Holy Spirit? Uh, some traditions of the faith uh, actually believe that and practice that. And I would just say that's not correct. That's not really biblical. Uh, what's happening here is a unique event. It is descriptive, not prescriptive. Because every Christian, every person who knows Jesus can absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, rest assured that if you know Christ, you have the full Holy Spirit in you. Every single Christian. In fact, we're even told in the Bible that you can't even believe in Jesus without the Holy Spirit enabling and awakening you to. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is what awakens us and regenerates us and allows us to believe in Christ. And then from here on, we receive the Holy Spirit and have it forever. So why is this a thing here in this text? So Jerusalem and Samaria have been in conflict for a long time, those two places. Everything's been geographical so far in Acts. But the outcome here, commentators will tell you, is dual-sided. That what's happening, this kind of delayed outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this kind of laying on of hands idea, is that it affects the Samaritans and the apostles from Jerusalem. See, the apostles from Jerusalem could be convinced of God's love for the Samaritans, the ones they look down upon, that God is for them too, that his gospel is also for these people as they're actually seeing themselves the Holy Spirit pour out on them. And now the Samaritans get to see that they're actually connected to the people of God. They're not separate from Jerusalem. They don't need to make their own rules. As we talked about last week, have their own mountain to go worship. They are a part of God's people, not by their ethnicity, but because of Jesus and what he has done for them. And here are Peter and John there to see it and witness it. Because the Jews thought they would be alone in the kingdom. They thought I'd be the only ones there. There's some Christians who believe that. It's like, you're going to be really surprised when you get to heaven. And there's more people there. Now, it's a narrow road. It's only through Jesus. But I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised by some people who are there and some who aren't there. And it all comes through Christ. So these Jews thought they were going to be the only people. But the good news of the gospel, though, of Christ's love for us, of his death and resurrection, is for anyone. It's available to anyone to enter the kingdom of God. 
If we think anyone on earth is too far from God's grace, we have failed to understand the gospel. And we're incredibly short-sighted, self-focused, and arrogant. Because if I think someone else is too far to receive God's grace, but I think I was just the perfect person to receive it, I'm missing the gospel altogether. Now, this good news goes to all people who will come to believe in Christ. There's no one too far removed from the love of God being a reality for them. Jew, Samaritan, Tallahassee, Florida, anyone. So John's on the scene, and here's what John did in the book of Luke chapter 9. When the days were coming to close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. This is Jesus they're talking about. He sent messengers ahead of himself, and on the way they entered a village of the Samaritans, Keyword there, to make preparations for him. So they're going into an area occupied by Samaritans. This is before this event we just read in Acts took place. Jesus hasn't died yet, hasn't risen again. But they did not welcome him, the Samaritans, because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. They want nothing to do with the Jews who always have discriminated against them, been at odds with them. The hate was back and forth. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? This is the original, I think I'm going to get struck by lightning. You know when someone says something blasphemous, like I hope I don't get struck by lightning? Well, that doesn't really happen, but this is like that. John's asking for it to happen. But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. So here is John being mad at the Samaritans, saying, hey, you want me to call down thunder from heaven to strike them dead as a judgment? And now these same people, he's seen them know God. He's seeing them be saved from their sins. He's seeing them being counted as the people of God, giving their lives to Christ. What a gospel swing of good news of how God operates and how God works. Now to Simon, who's the central character of this part of the story. He was a local celebrity, he was a magic man, kind of a first century David Copperfield, a Chris Angel type character if you used to watch his show. They gave him the title, The Great Power of God. So when Philip arrived with the good news with his orders from Jesus to be a witness to Samaria, the game started to change, we could see. Philip is preaching about Jesus, that's the message, his death, his resurrection, and he's performing signs that God's allowing him to do to validate the mission. And Simon didn't have these actual abilities. He couldn't keep up, he couldn't hang, so as a result, he started losing his hype. John Bloom wrote this, that Simon watched with covetous awe as the real great power of God flowed through Philip. Then Peter and John show up on the scene, and when they prayed, people were filled with the Holy Spirit. They became Christians. They saw these miraculous things happen, and more people started showing up. When the team is winning, all of a sudden the stadium's full, right? People want to see what's happening. They want to see the spread of the good news. Everyone was talking about the team. And Simon isn't getting attention anymore. Nobody's asking him to take a selfie. He was yesterday's news. So like many who kind of have that drug of the need for the attention of others, he wanted that feeling again. And if he could somehow receive this power, I guess it comes from this Jesus guy who they say rose from the grave that Philip's talking about. Maybe I could become a big deal again. Maybe I'd be the central figure, the celebrity. Remember, I'm the great one of God, he's saying. Once again, people would hold me in high esteem. So what's happening here? We even see he believes the message, 
and gets baptized. But the question we have to ask as we read that text is, but did he really, not did he really get baptized, but did he really believe? Because what Simon's doing in the tragedy of this story is he wants what he thinks Jesus can offer, not actually Jesus himself. He wants the byproducts of faith, the blessings of faith without actually the one who gives the greatest blessing, which is Jesus through the salvation he offers us. And he's not unique, we're not gonna beat him up, we can all be guilty of it. I mean, how many of us, myself included, so oftentimes want the warm fuzzies of faith? And maybe the good feelings of religion, maybe the morals that are attached to it, maybe some relational clout with people, but not actually Jesus himself. Others maybe want political power. They kind of attach faith language in Jesus' name onto their speeches and their platforms, a kind of little motto or a saying or a tagline at the end. Maybe some people you know, kind of say, oh yeah, faith, Jesus, because they want that girl to date them, or, and then she's not gonna date you unless you're a Christian. Like, like whatever it might be, how often do we leverage or use the name of Jesus or the idea of faith rather than actually wanting Jesus himself? And we have to realize that our faith is not in faith. Our faith is in a person. There's an object of our faith, and it's the one who was dead for us and came back to life three days later. So if your answer to why you were a Christian is something other than the work of Jesus on your behalf, you need to ask the question, am I Simon? Or do I really actually have faith in Christ? There's an object to our faith. To be a Christian does not simply mean you aren't an atheist, or you aren't Jewish, or you aren't Muslim, or you're a nice person. It means you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God who died a death that you deserved, who rose from the grave three days later, ascended into heaven as one day is going to come again. So Peter calls Simon to repentance, verses 21 and 22. Just because someone says they believe in Jesus doesn't mean they're converted. Now Christianity is a conversion religion. You're not born a Christian, you can be born to a Christian family, but you become a Christian, you convert to Christianity. I'm not the judge of who's a Christian and who's not, nor do I want to be. But it's important just because you believe there was a Jesus or like him or are positive towards him does not mean you're converted. And we can also learn from Simon's story that we don't come to faith in Christ on our own terms. He's going, well, I want some of that. Can I give you some money so I can get some power, get my magic show going again? Uh, can, can we do it that way? And that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. We come to Christ by faith. But notice his fate is left open. We don't really know what happens to him after this. And this is just my opinion. Whenever I'm just giving my opinion, I want to state that. Maybe this is a warning to the people of Samaria who are hearing the gospel. That make sure you're not just putting your faith in faith. Or you're not just going, wow, some neat things are happening. I need some of that. But actually believe that Jesus is the one he claimed to be. And the object of your faith is Christ. John Piper wrote this. What was missing was a heartfelt recognition of sinfulness and a turning to Jesus with a broken and humble trust for forgiveness. Amazement and excitement about signs and wonders is not saving faith. The signs and wonders in this story are the finger pointing to Jesus. True faith comes when we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We can have all the spiritual experiences possible by looking at the finger of power, but until we actually turn to the Lord himself, there will be no true faith. And Piper adds this, I take this to mean that Simon was not truly converted. He was no part or a lot in this matter of Christianity. 
His heart is not right with God. He still needs to repent. He's still enslaved to bitterness and iniquity. He is still in his sin and not yet converted. This is the confirmation by the entire tradition of the early church that actually tells us in history that Simon went on to become a heretic and not a true Christian. Justin Martyr said that, Jerome, the early church fathers. I mean, what, what a kind of a tragic story here. But here's the good news for all of us. That does not have to be us if we put our faith in Christ, that he is the object of our faith. Now, I want to contrast that with the next story in Acts. We see this in verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. So Philip's still on mission, still going. Get up and go south to the road that leads down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and he went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah, the Old Testament book, Old Testament prophet, aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and I love what he said, and said, do you understand what you're reading? I said, can I help you? Look, I want to help you think through this. How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? Which shows the need for somebody to have another walk them through the scriptures and show them what it is that God has to say. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. If only it was that easy, right? But God was clearly in this, orchestrating the entire thing. Now the scripture passage he was reading was like this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. This is hundreds of years before Christ. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. He will describe his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is this prophet saying this about? Himself? Kind of a weird thing to say. Or someone else? Like, who's this? I'm reading this scroll. Like, who's this about? And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with the scriptures. So he's proclaiming the gospel of Christ to him from the Old Testament that everything Isaiah is writing about is about the one who would go and be this for us, who would be the sacrificial lamb, who would be treated with the most injustice ever as an innocent man dying for the crimes of others, the sins of others. He reasoned and showed him. So they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. Imagine Philip's like, thanks. What would keep me from being baptized? And I'd ask you the same question if you're a believer in Jesus Christ who hasn't been baptized. What would keep you from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus and he was tra- as he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So this story here, Romans would have considered Ethiopia to be the edge of the world. Remember Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we see this starting to play out right in front of us. And we're introduced to an Ethiopian eunuch. And why do we need to know that he's a eunuch? Luke wrote this. It's like, Luke, is that a little TMI? I don't really want to get into what a eunuch is for PG purposes. I don't want to tell you to Google it either because I feel a little liable to that. But let's just say, never mind. Okay, so 
The reality is that Jewish law, from Deuteronomy 23, did not allow a eunuch to enter the temple. He also wasn't Jewish. So he's a double-decker outcast. Like, two-fold outcast. He's a foreigner in their eyes, and he's a eunuch. But he was going to Jerusalem to worship, which meant he probably stayed pretty had to stay far away. So he's looking into the temple far from a distance, seeing the worship that he's excluded from taking place. And he's reading Isaiah on the way back. And he's confused. Who is this talking about? And Philip, prompted by the Holy Spirit, that God sets up this occasion, people call it a divine appointment, starts sharing the scriptures with this lost man who doesn't know the Lord. He wants to, apparently, just doesn't know. He's reading Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 through 8. And we see in Acts 8, 35, that Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture, that he connects the dots for him. This is all prophetic, pointing us to Jesus. Mark Dever writes this, it is God's word coming to us that his spirit uses to reshape our lives. In other words, when you share your faith, yes, tell your story, but use your Bible. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And you can make an assumption here, and I don't think it's a stretch, that Philip explained baptism to him. Like it was part of the conversation because he jumps to it quickly. He says, okay, I, I believe this. Now what's keeping me from doing what you talked about? As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, but Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. A public response, a new association he is declaring with Christ. Look at what it also says in Isaiah, the book he was reading, written hundreds of years before. No foreigner who is joined to himself should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I am a dried up tree. And here, right in front of Philip, him still seeing God move and allow the believers to carry out what they were called to is seeing the fulfillment of that prophecy happening right here in this baptism water with the Ethiopian eunuch. Think about Simon compared to the eunuch. Simon does really well for himself. He's a big deal. So he doesn't really think he needs Jesus for his salvation. He thinks he needs Jesus to help his cause. Maybe to better himself, to live his best life. Here's the eunuch, foreigner, and then has this going on in his life as well as a reality. He knows he's an outcast. So what does he want? Not five steps to a better life. He wants what Jesus has to offer, which is salvation, which is full bringing into the family of God. Who knows what all Philip explained to him, but he's talking to him, and what we do know is that the Jesus he was talking about that would go to the lamb, like a lamb to the slaughter, is the Jesus who didn't just, wasn't just prophesied about, he actually died for the eunuch. It's like, wait a second, nobody cares about me. I have my job in Ethiopia, and it's a pretty important job, but nobody cares. I can't even go in the temple. I, I'm an outcast, and guess what he says? This gospel's for you too. There's not one person that God views as too far from him. And by too far from him, I mean too far that his grace can't be received and his gospel can't change. We're all far from God before our salvation. 
But Jesus came to be the great mediator between God and man. And that good news is for all people who will come to faith. And when you look back at Simon, it's not a coincidence that Jesus says things like, it's really hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because he thinks he has everything he needs. And this guy here lost a little bit of it, so he's needed to get it back. A little more height, a little more attention. What does a eunuch have? Reminders that he can't go in the temple to worship. Okay, fine, you can't go to God. That's the point. God's coming to you. Because none of us can get to God on our own. So Jesus came to us. We call it Christmas. So we proclaim every week, but also as Easter approaches, is there's not one person in this room whose life is too wrecked to be redeemed. You may see yourself as an outcast. God does not see you that way. He sees you as someone who is made in his image, who he loves, and who needs to respond to his good news and his gospel. Like, your school might make you feel like you're an outcast. Society might make you feel like you're an outcast. Your mistakes might make you feel too far from God. Maybe you wreck this, wreck that. Catastrophic decisions in your life that you're still seeing the the consequences of today, well, those consequences might not go away here on earth, but here's what you can know. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You stand not guilty before him because Jesus was guilty in your place. So those beautiful doctrines in all the Bible called substitutionary atonement, not just that Jesus died, but he died in our place for our sins. The lamb taken to the slaughter that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading about and going, who is this talking about? And Philip, by his divine appointment, shows up on the scene and says, he's talking about Jesus, and he did this for you. Christianity is not a hobby. It's not an accessory. It's not a random moral lesson. I don't have five steps to a better you. What I have is what God has, because who am I? I'm just a dude. That's the word of God that tells us that Jesus is the way. He is the truth, that he is the life. And people who have been Christians for 40 years and people who are hearing the gospel for the first time need to remind themselves over and over again of what God has done for us. That he has displayed his glory to the whole world by redeeming a people to himself. And it's the wealthy magician all the way to the downcast foreigner eunuch that all can be included in God's kingdom because the way we come to God's kingdom is through Jesus. And that's great news. That's how we celebrate baptism and get all loud up in here because we celebrate when people understand and realize God's love for them in Christ because that's the message that we're about. So there's Simon. Just need a little extra Jesus juice, a little Jesus whatever to help me out a little bit here. That's going away. Like, using Christianity for social clout is going to disappear pretty soon. It's going to be more of a liability to be a Christian than it is to tack it on to social clout. So that's going to go away eventually. So who is Jesus for you? Is he just someone that maybe helps you have a better day? Which I do think Jesus helps us. I absolutely believe that. We're told to cast our anxieties on him, and you know, we're told to bring our cares to him. Like, absolutely. But is he just someone to kind of get you through tomorrow? Is he a life coach? To get you some more followers, or do you really believe that he is the one, that he is Lord, 
So the Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe this. Thank you for telling me. I want to respond to this. I need to be forgiven of my sins. Okay, I have I, I, trusted in Christ. You mentioned baptism as like kind of a step after that to, to make sure I, I understand the full picture of what's happening here, the symbolism of my sins being washed away, that it shows the picture of what Christ has done for us. What's keeping me from doing that? Philip's like, you believe. You've been saved from your sins by your faith, by Christ. Let's go. Let's keep going. The book of Acts continues here in Tallahassee as we go forward this good news. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful for the truth of the scriptures. What an amazing two stories to have side by side. Lord, I ask that we will not be Simons who believe that you are just a, a means to some sort of end. Let us be like the Ethiopian who believes you are the means and the end. You are the whole story. You are the whole point. And we're thankful that the creator of the universe knows us by name, forgives us of our sins, loved us first, doesn't condemn us. Your word tells us you delight in your children. So not only do you love us, you like us too. What an amazing thought. So I ask that we'll be people that Take the gospel to the outcast. Take the gospel to the one who thinks he has it all figured out. Because it's for all people. Let us be unashamed. Let us love well. Let us be convinced of who you are because the tomb is empty. And I ask that we will be a church that is all about Jesus. Because we do believe that all the scriptures point to the name that is above all names. We are grateful to our God for the gift of salvation, for the gift of life. And we worship you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together and sing some good news.